Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Celebrate our God-given freedom and faith while honoring our Blessed Mother with Girelli's USA Rosary. Each state is represented on this rosary's 50 beads. Red, white, and blue enamel adorn its patriotic crucifix. Get yours today. Shop www.ghirelli.com. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com, for faith, fellowship, and love. Stories communicate truth through characters and plot lines. As the plot unfolds, the truth unfolds. As the hero discovers something new, we discover that truth with him or her. As the hero faces conflict, we feel his emotion and face the conflict too. And as the conflict is resolved, we learn something new. Characters also communicate truth by being archetypes or deep symbolical characters. So, for instance, in this story, The Firekeeper, the old man represents all wise old men in stories. All the wizards and wise men, all the magicians and grandfathers are gathered up in this character. He's the old prophet, the monk, and the grandmaster. Meanwhile, the boy Christopher, the name means Christ-bearer, is the typical orphaned hero who sets out on the great quest. We identify with the boy and go on that journey with him. The Firekeeper is one of Father Longenecker's own stories. Listen to the story, then discuss it, then listen again. See if you can identify some of the deeper meanings and themes in the story, as well as the different signs and symbols Father Longenecker has woven into this true fairy tale. Here is Father Longenecker reading his story, The Firekeeper. Once in the dark times of the distant future, there lived in the desert of the great city a wise old man who was called the Firekeeper. He was the only person still living in the abandoned city. Everyone else had left after the great catastrophe. What had happened is really very simple to understand. Over the years, the people of the great city had become completely dependent on the power of electricity. Their great power stations surged to fulfill their ever-growing hunger for more and more electricity. Eventually, everything in their lives ran on electricity. Everything from their toasters and fridges, hair dryers and televisions, their cars, trains and buses had all become electric, and most of all, their computers, which controlled everything else, ran on electricity. But then one day there was a shift in the world's orbit. The magnetic fields of the Earth were bumped out of line, and in one terrible instant, the electricity simply stopped. It was like someone pulled the plug. It didn't work anymore. It happened over the whole world. One moment everything was purring along normally, and the next instant the world stopped. The lights went out. All the systems controlled by the computers went dark. Food in the fridges and freezers went soft and rotted. The cars, trains, and buses simply stopped right where they were. Planes fell out of the sky. 
nothing would move again. As you can imagine, the result was chaos. The government ceased to function. There were no police. The riots and looting and killing were terrible. People fled the cities on foot. Many perished in the wars that followed. More were killed as the Ravengers grew in strength. The Ravengers were bands of scavenging rangers who declared that the old order deserved to die, and they were going to establish a new order. They went through towns looting and burning the abandoned homes and businesses and terrorizing everyone. Those who survived either joined the Ravengers or huddled in little settlements living in huts that they built out of the wreckage. The worst suffering brought about by the catastrophe was that as the people came to depend on electricity over the years, they forgot how to make and master fire. Many years before, the government had passed a law banning open flames in an attempt to stop destructive forest fires once and for all. Matches and firelighters were banned. In schools, the children were taught that fire was destructive, and there was not any need for it anymore as long as they had the power stations and electricity. Then the catastrophe hit, and the world went dark and cold. Imagine what it was like with no fire. There was no heat in the winter and no way to cook food. There was no light in the dark and no way to ward off the wild beasts at night. All that remained was the legend of the firekeeper. The survivors, living in their miserable huts in the country, told the story of the one man who remained in the city and kept the fire burning. They said he lived at the very top of one of the abandoned skyscrapers. He was called various names, the Eternal Flame, Shekinah, Watch Knight, or just the Master of the Red Flower. But most of all, they just called him the Fire Keeper. Over the years, stories and legends grew up about the Fire Keeper. They told how he was a fearsome giant. They said he devoured everyone who tried to visit him, and that he was the one who hurled the lightning bolts when the terrible thunderstorms would rage. Many of the survivors didn't believe in the firekeeper at all. They mocked those who believed, and the more they mocked, the more fearsome the stories grew, and Shekinah the firekeeper, who lived above the clouds at the top of one of the skyscrapers, became more and more ominous in their minds. But there was one boy who believed. His name was Christopher. He was an orphan child who lived with an old couple named Amanda and Michael. One day, when he was twelve years old, without telling anyone, Christopher packed a rucksack with a few clothes, his favorite book of stories, and some dried fruit and nuts for the journey. He set off for the abandoned city to find the firekeeper and learn from him the secret of the fire. Christopher's journey was long and hard. He had to avoid the ravengers and find his way through the abandoned town surrounding the great city. After sleeping rough for many nights, he wandered through the vast, decaying ghost town and found himself on a street full of big old mansions. The houses were set back from the street. They had wide, welcoming porches, towers, and turrets, and tall, steep roofs. They seemed to have been happy homes at one time, but they were now crumbling ruins— Paint was peeling, doors hung half-fallen from their hinges, floorboards were rotten, roof tiles had fallen, leaving gaps where the wind and rain swept in, carved angels in the corners were worm-eaten, leaves cluttered the gutters, and trees sprouted from the drains. And then one night, as Christopher huddled in one of the porches, he saw an unbelievable sight— 
There, shining in the darkness of the night, he saw a candle burning in the window of the tower built on the side of one of the grandest houses. Remember, Christopher had never seen any kind of fire before, so you can imagine his thrill and amazement. He rushed down the street and pushed his way through the piles of rubble and rusting-out cars. He made his way through the door in the grand entrance hall, up the stairs and through the front room, where he found a little doorway into the tower. He felt his way up a circular staircase and pushed his way into a round room under a pointed conical roof. A fire was blazing in a small fireplace, and before the fire sat an old man sitting cross-legged on the floor. His white hair reached to his shoulders, and his beard stretched across his chest. He was wearing a robe of swirling orange, yellow, and crimson designs. As Christopher entered, the old man opened his eyes and smiled slightly. Christopher saw that his face was as ancient as the mountains and as young as tomorrow. When the boy looked into the old man's deep brown eyes, he thought he could see all the pain and joy of a thousand years. The firekeeper said gently, "'I've been expecting you. Sit down.' Christopher sat down while the firekeeper went slowly around the room and lit more candles. His eyes glittered and his mouth dropped open in amazement at the beauty of the room filled with candlelight. He sat in silence for a very long time before the firekeeper spoke. "'You are the first of the people from the dark country to return.' "'Yes,' said Christopher. "'All the people are afraid of you and your power. "'They said you brought on the catastrophe "'and that you had the great power of fire "'and you would kill anyone who came to take it.' "'The old man smiled sadly. "'I have never been interested in punishing anyone. "'I have no special powers except that I have kept the fire "'when everyone else tried to forget the fire and snuff it out.' Christopher asked, "'Is it true that you can make a fire that will eat up everything in sight?' "'Any fire will do that, given enough fuel and air,' explained the firekeeper. "'Is it true that you can make enormous sprays of fire in the night sky, and then you make all the stars and the sun and make all the sparks of fire at night?' Well, "'There are many forms of fireworks, it is true,' said the old man. "'But you have not come on a long and perilous journey to ask me questions. You have come to take the fire.' "'Oh, no, no, no,' said Christopher. I, I, "'I have not come to steal the fire. I have only come to find answers.' "'I did not say that you came to steal the fire,' said the old man. Then he got up and picked up a candle snuffer and went about putting out all the candles. Christopher noticed how slowly he walked and that the fire which had been blazing in the fireplace was now slowly dying out. And then the old man sat down again and closed his eyes.' They were silent for a very long time before Christopher whispered, "'How can I learn to carry the fire?' The old man went to a cupboard built into the wall and opened it with a special golden key. Inside was a small, round, clay lantern with glass windows and a vent in the top. The firekeeper went to the fireplace and used tongs to pull out a large glowing ember the size of a large melon. He opened the door of the lantern and put the ember inside and placed it on the floor between them. The red ember glowed like an enormous living ruby. It was beautiful. The firekeeper said, Do not touch the ember or the lantern. Both will be very hot. You must bear this fire in the clay vessel, and take it out of the city to the mountain in the distant desert. There you will find the source of all fire, and you must return this single coal 
the only ember left in our world to this mountain source of fire. When you have completed your journey, the curse will be broken, and the gift of fire will be returned to man, because one courageous boy will have shown that we are worthy of it again. You will be that boy. But how will I find the way? Christopher asked. The fire will lead the way, said the old man in a weakened voice. But I know nothing about the fire or about the world, Christopher exclaimed. The fire will teach you all things, if you learn to listen. But, but what if the fire goes out? The old man leaned forward. Here is the truth. Cover the fire, and the fire will perish. Give away the fire, and see it flourish. Repeat that after me. Cover the fire, and the fire will perish. Give away the fire, and see it flourish. But what will you do, Christopher said, if this is the only fire that does that mean you will no longer have any fire? You, you are the fire keeper now. Take this last ember to the fire mountain, to the source of the fire, and regain the gift of fire for man. But without the fire you will die. Everyone must die sometime, smiled the fire keeper. A good time to die is when you have finished your work and the sun goes down. And with that he lay down on the floor, turned his face to the cold fireplace, closed his eyes, and Christopher was left alone. That night Christopher found a small box of tools and a long, sturdy stick. He carved a hook in the end of the stick. Then he turned to cover the old firekeeper's face with the hood of his robe, but found that the old man's body had gone. Only wisps of fragrant smoke rose from the empty robes. So Christopher put on the firekeeper's ample robes like a full-flowing cape. He gathered his rucksack and set off across the abandoned city with a stick and lantern over his shoulder. He slept the first night under a bridge. He put the lantern by his side and found himself talking to the fire as to a friend. Fire, he said, I'm alone and frightened. Drive away every evil thing tonight and protect me while I sleep. The next day he walked along with the lantern over his shoulder, and whenever he came to a turning in the road, he held the lantern out first one way and then the other, and sure enough, the coal of fire glowed more towards one way than the other, and so Christopher would take that way and continue his journey to the mountain of fire in the distant desert. Eventually he came to a village of the country dwellers. He thought things through carefully and decided to approach by day with his lantern under a cover, lest they would be frightened by the fire and suspicious of him as a stranger. Now you must remember that Christopher didn't know how fire worked, how you could spread it and share it all over the world. And that night in the darkness of the hut, in hoarse whispers, he told the poor family of the treasure he had hidden under his now dirty orange cloak. Eventually he brought out the lantern. Their eyes lit up in wonder when he unveiled the ember in the lantern. They stared in amazement, and finally the father asked if they could have some of the precious fire. Christopher wrapped the lantern up quickly and said, I can't. I'm the fire keeper. I must go to the mountain of fire in the distant desert and, and return the fire to its source so that the gift will be returned to man and the curse be broken. Then Christopher remembered the dying words of the old fire keeper. Cover the fire and the fire will perish. Give the fire away and see it flourish. Well, maybe I can spare just a little, said Christopher. 
He got out the little box of tools, which had a small hammer and chisel, and he chipped off a splinter of the hot ember. Immediately one of the children put it to a scrap of paper, which burst into flame, and they all gasped with delight and fear. And before long the father of the family had found some kindling wood, and but the fire flared up and frightened them. And one of the little children reached out to touch the pretty flames and screamed in terror as her hand was burnt. But soon the father learned how water would calm the flames, and he put stones around the fire to contain it. Christopher left the next day on his journey, confused about the events. As he traveled, the country dwellers gave him food and shelter, and many nights he had similar experiences. The people took splinters of the ember and built small fires, fires Christopher was convinced would fizzle out the next day, because he believed he was the only firekeeper, and his ember was the last true fire left on earth. As Christopher went on, he found that the ember was getting smaller and smaller. The firekeeper had told him that it would flourish if he gave it away, but the ember was dying down. It was dwindling. Furthermore, as the ember got smaller, his own eyesight began to dim. He could not see as far in the distance. By now he was well into the desert land. The rocks were hard and the hills were steep. The days were hot and the nights were cold. The sun was blazing by day and the darkness was deep at night. Christopher grew more and more weary and lowly in his trek, and he noticed that his eyesight was more and more dim. He was also increasingly sad and confused. Why was he to go on this journey anyway? Why was the ember dwindling? Was the firekeeper not honest? Did he lie? He was meant to carry the fire back to its source and get more fire for everyone, but now his little coal of fire was getting smaller and smaller. In the end, Christopher found himself traveling by night to avoid the heat of the day. And by now, the now tiny ember in his lantern seemed brighter at night, and he still spoke to the ember as to a friend, but now as a friend whose life and light was fading. One night, when he could not sleep, he realized that he understood his journey in a way he could not explain. As his eyesight faded and the ember grew dim, his understanding grew. It was as if the fire was inside him, and the more the ember faded, the more he seemed to bear a strong and burning fire within. At last he came to the mountain of fire. High on the summit the fires from within the mountain were glowing and rumbling. Then, as he came to the base of the mountain, he stopped and rested before he began to climb. As he sat down, he put his head in his hands and said, Little fire, we have come on a long journey and I'm tired. The ember glowed a bit more strongly for a moment, and Christopher said, We have this terrible mountain to climb, and I'm not sure I will make it. I, I can't see very well, and I haven't eaten for days, and I'm cold, and when I look at you, I think you won't last much longer either. The coal glimmered feebly. I was meant to bring you back and claim the gift of fire, but I'm not sure I can continue. Then with tears in his eyes he began to climb the mountain. By now the clay lantern was no longer too hot, and he held it to his chest as he climbed. That night on the mountain there was a terrible storm. There were clouds of smoke and cracks of thunder and lightning. Christopher was terrified as he climbed higher and higher up the mountain, all the time feeling his way in the dark and feeling the earth quake under his feet and feeling the growing heat of the fires within the mountain below. 
At last he came to the end of the little trail he was following, and in the darkness and smoke and thundering he cried, "'Fire, which way do we go now?' And he saw that in the lantern the fire was only the tiniest little ember, just the size of your little fingernail. Do we climb higher up? The coal glimmered a bit more strongly, so Christopher went on, climbing over boulders and stumbling in the darkness, and finally he came upon a ridge high up near the summit, and as he stepped out on the ridge, the great storm stopped. The moon came out, and the night was suddenly clear and still. There in front of him was a cave entrance, three arches carved into the hillside. He went in. The inside of the cave was filled with golden candlelight, the way the room of the firekeepers had been only far more magnificent. In the middle of the cave was an ancient stone table with a white cloth, a golden goblet, bowls and plates stood waiting, and the vessels were laden with food, rich fruit, sweet meat, and cakes. At the head of the cave, up a set of stairs, at the head of the cave, up a set of stairs, a huge fire was roaring with flames leaping up from within the mountain below. On the other side of the fire stood a man dressed in white, whose whole appearance glowed with a radiant inner light. Christopher fell to his knees and said, I have only brought this little fire. And then he opened the lamp and to his horror saw that there was now nothing there at all, only a tiny bit of gray, powdery ash. Christopher began to cry quietly. I have come all this way, he sobbed, and failed to bring the fire to its source and gain the gift of fire for man and break the curse. A gentle breeze began blowing from the other side of the great fire, and Christopher thought he heard a strange and beautiful voice like singing and speaking mixed. It was a voice in an alien tongue. He could not understand the words, but he understood their meaning. It was telling him to rise up and stand at the mouth of the cave. He went to the door of the cave and stood in the central arch. Suddenly his eyesight was restored, and he looked out over the valley, and there before his eyes were thousands and thousands of fires burning in all the villages and huts that he had visited. The whole valley was filled with beautiful firelight. The voice was calling him back to the warmth of the light. He was saying in a sweet musical voice, The nature of the curse was that you could not spread the fire by knowing how. You could only spread it by sharing with an open heart. The fire is a gift. It can never be gained or grabbed with greedy hands, but only given and only received. Your work is done. Your journey is over. Now you must sit and eat. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Firekeeper. This is the ninth episode in Father Longenecker's True Fairy Tales series of podcasts. His own fairy tales are alternated with classic tales from Hans Christian Andersen, George MacDonald, the Grimm Brothers, and others. The easiest way to listen to True Fairy Tales is by downloading the Breadbox Media app to your mobile device. You can also listen and download at Father Longenecker's website. In addition to True Fairy Tales, why not listen to Father Longenecker's other podcast series? Triumphs and Tragedies is his 23-part series on the history of the Catholic Church. In Characters of the Reformation, Father Longenecker reads an abridged version of Hilaire Belloc's classic book. Stories of the Unexpected are true short stories of real supernatural events that have happened to Father Longenecker and his friends and family. 
Most of the podcasts are free. Some are only available to donor subscribers to the website. Finally, while true fairy tales are free to listen to, they are not free to produce. If you would like to contribute to the costs of producing the blog website, go to DwightLongenecker.com and click on subscribe to learn more. That's DwightLongenecker.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. I'd like to invite you to join me for a pilgrimage tour to France this September. It's based on my book, St. Benedict and St. Therese, The Little Rule and the Little Way. I'll be teaching about the spiritualities and the lives of these two great saints, and we'll be visiting the great monastery of Fleury, where St. Benedict's relics are venerated, and of course going to Lisieux to visit the childhood home of St. Therese, the Carmel where she was a nun, and the great basilica dedicated to her honor. But there's more than that. At Paris, we'll be visiting the Basilica of Sacré-Cœur, Rue de Bac with the Miraculous Medal, going on to Vézelay, Nevers with St. Bernadette, Paris-le-Monial, where the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus was given to St. Margaret Mary, and then Chartres Cathedral, Mont Saint-Michel, the Normandy beaches, and more. I think there's not only going to be time for instruction and learning, but also prayer and worship, celebrating Mass in the various locations, and also time for fellowship and a good bit of French food and wine, too. Come and join us this September. If you'd like to know more, go to catholicheritagetours.com. That's catholicheritagetours.com, or be in touch with me through my website, twightlongenecker.com. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough Vehicle at caneford.com.